0: hello and welcome to gradcast the official radio show and podcast of the society of graduate students here at western university i'm your host ariel frame and today we have a special guest who's actually a member of the gradcast editorial board laura minos
1: hey i'm glad to be here as a a guest it's very nice
0: (laughs) we are glad to find out finally behind the scenes what are we up to laura you are a phd student in the biology department can you tell us Generally, what is your project about?
1: Uh, My project is about studying overlapping reading frames in viruses.
0: That is exciting. I think that the first thing people might understand when they hear that is viruses, because viruses are something people talk about a lot, considering the pandemic related to a virus. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe people hear about virus and they think maybe this is just a bad thing, but they're not really sure what it is. So can you tell us to start, what is virus?
1: You can think as a virus just like as a as a small uh, piece of genetic material can be rna or dna that is encapsulated in in some space and it's trying to uh, duplicate this genetic material
0: so i guess it maybe it's a bit debatable whether it's living or not but it's kind of a a piece of the the, uh, of the genome or it kind of has its own genome Mm -hmm. and it has some genes that I think most people understand. Everybody has for code. So, what's the difference is uh, between you know us and and uh, and another animal and a, and a and a virus?
1: Okay, so we have uh, so every let's say living organism have genetic material right that's where we have the instructions to build the entire organism right. if viruses have their own instructions as well but the difference or what's debatable whether they are alive or not is because they don't have the mechanisms for to create copies of their own so mm. for example we as a humans we are able to create life just uh, by <laughs> copulating right uh, but viruses they cannot do it unless they can infect a cell. So Mm -hmm. they need to be able to infect other forms of life in order to create copies of themselves.
0: Okay, so they have genetic material, just like every other life form has, but they kind of are deficient in their ability to spread it around. So they kind of have to use something like us to as a kind of a vector to to spread. So um, in that genetic material, what is it made of?
1: So viruses can be, their genetic material can be DNA or RNA. Uh, and they are, according to that genetic material, they're going to have different uh, replication mechanisms inside a cell.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, what's what's special about DNA and RNA? And what why can we have it either? Like, uh, how, how do they both code for genetic material? Okay, or genetic that's, information?
1: That's an excellent question. So DNA is... Yeah, you can think about DNA as this like big book where you have the instructions for life, right? So you have all of the possible instructions there, but they are not actual actually accessible. You need to be able to convert those instructions into forms that are like is more easy to read so that's when rna comes so you can you can think about rna for example like sticky notes it's like you take quick notes of what's on that big book and Mm -hmm. those notes are actual instructions that you can make because from the book itself it's not possible so that's basically how like life works but with viruses you can have those instructions both on dna or rna so you can have these sticky notes (laughs) or you can have the entire book uh, and usually how it works is you have the book and from that book, you take a piece of RNA. So the book is DNA. Then you take a piece of it of it, which is the RNA or the sticky note. And from that sticky note, you're able to create proteins. But in viruses, sometimes you can create uh, these proteins out of RNA, so of the sticky notes, or there's this very interesting meca- mechanism which is a retro transcription, which is converting the sticky notes in, into the book itself mm. so from RNA into DNA so that's like the reverse step
0: cool so I, I like this analogy about like a, a book and sticky notes and obviously now there's instructions in there coding for protein it's either way it's coding it can either code in the book or in the sticky notes either in the DNA or in the RNA so in order to get the protein we have to read it and I guess that makes me think a lot about what you said your project is all about, and that's reading frames. So if I'm reading a book or a sticky note or a DNA or an RNA, uh, what is a reading frame?
1: So, okay, our book, our instruction book is full of many things that doesn't mean anything. They're just letters that you throw out there or they could mean anything and we don't know yet. (laughs) But for now, we're going to say that we have some chunk of uh, fractions of the DNA that are genes. And the genes are the actual instruction and uh, genes are encoded in something called codons. So the DNA is made out of nucleic acids and uh, those nucleic acids form codons of three letters and those three letters encode one protein. So basically, a reading frame is a set of codons that are an instruction to encode one protein, which is a, a change of amino acids. So this is a reading frame, like basically a reading frame, you can think about it as a as specific instruction that is inside of the DNA that it's full of other things, not only instructions, right? So that that will be a reading frame.
0: Mm. So, you know, we got a bunch of letters in a row and each letter is indicating a, a nucleic acid of a particular type, you know, part of the the chain that goes together to make the DNA or RNA. And, um, and if you want to look at it and determine what it means to read it, you have to read it three letters at a time. And that's what the reading frame is. Am exactly. I right, getting that exactly. right? Okay. Yes, so you got right. three letters, three letters, three letters, and you keep following it along until you work out what that whole code is three letters at a time. Mm-hmm. So, um, can this change or does it differ between DNA and RNA, the the reading frame? what What relevance is a reading frame to you?
1: Yeah, so the reading frames are the same in RNA and, and DNA. So when you read uh, when you read an instruction, from the, from the DNA into the RNA, that, that's the same set of codons. However, the difference or why that's relevant for me is we, because viruses tend to have something called overlapping reading frames. So in these uh, triplets of instructions, we can have one single letter can be used to encode more than one instruction. So from this same segment of the book, you can have several different sticky notes that will give different instructions. And this is very important for viruses because this will allow them to have a lot more information in the same same page. (laughs) So they are able to have very compact genomes because they have a ton more information in the same number of of letters.
0: I guess it's almost like if I read a sentence in the book and then I took the last two words of that sentence, and I used it in the next sentence, so I could repurpose those words to have more sentences.
1: How it will also be like, for example, you start reading a book, starting in the letter, in the first letter, right? So from the first letter, you form a word. But but what overlapping genes do is that sometimes they start reading the instructions beginning on the second letter. So Uh they move one letter to the right or one letter to the left, and then you... What from for, for moving just one letter, you have an entirely new instruction.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay. So um, this is a special technique that uh, viruses use to jam pack as much uh, information as they can in the small space because they have much less DNA and RNA than uh, other organisms have, if you can consider it even alive. <laughs> We're going to sort of for this purpose. So um, how... How does this code and the reading frames play into evolution? How does it evolve these different reading frames or how, what does evolution have to do with it?
1: Yeah, so that's uh, our like that's a question that's still going. That's why we're interested on it. Uh, we don't really know because uh, there are a lot of selection pressures that act upon DNA. We can look at evolution in, in the molecular level as changing of letters. So when some letters change, you will maybe just there are just some specific letters that if you change them, you have different instructions that Mm. can modify how the organism works, or can make it more adaptable or less adaptable, right? Like those, those uh, events can happen, right? So in viruses, when you change one letter, you could have effects on two different instructions. And mm-hmm. that's why overlapping reading frames are important, right? Because you cannot, you're not just affecting one single instructions, you're affecting more than one. But also these overlapping genes are thought to be used for viruses in order to create new uh, genes de novo. So there's a big question about how are genes, genes created? Where do they come from? Where do, and in viruses, we, we see a lot of something that we call accessory genes. There are genes that doesn't seem to be like super important, they are not key for the virus to to exist, but they are helpful. (laughs) And the, the question is, where did they come from? How were they created? So one hypothesis is that just by changing the frame shift, that is like when you start reading in letter one or in letter two, you can have a new different instruction and maybe that instruction doesn't do much. But maybe one time that is that instruction actually start meaning something for the virus that make it more adaptable. So we think that that these overlapping genes are key in order to one create create a new genes and two to regulate how viruses
0: evolve. Hmm. So um, I guess my question is, you know, you're saying these changes can can be good for for the vi for the virus, so they can like kind of. In a way, discover new genes or modify their own genes, and maybe a single change can can make uh, a single a single letter modified can change multiple genes at once. So they have a lot of ability to change. Um, but how do these actually get changed? When in the life, if you want to call it that, of a virus, does it does their letters get changed?
1: Okay. So that's in general how life evolves in terms of the molecular level. When we look at the molecular level, changes occur when you are uh, making copies. <laughs> so ma- basically you make a copy and sometimes you make a mistake on that copy. In viruses, when the, their genetic material is RNA, there tend to be a lot of mistakes when you're replicating that material because uh, there are no RNA proofreading mechanisms. So for example, in our cells, when they are making copies of, of the genetic material, we're able to create, to pass through another protein that will check that there are no mistakes and will correct and clean. So we're going to have some more like accurate replicates of our genetic material, but viruses don't have that especially RNA viruses. So they tend to make a lot of mistakes when they're creating copies of, the, of their genetic material and they cannot fix it because they don't have any, any mechanisms for doing that. So that's when you accumulate a lot of mutations and that's why we say that viruses evolve very quickly. So basically it's in that step of replicating their genome that mistakes are made and those mistakes we sometimes call them evolution. When okay. they when they are good for the organism, we call that mistakes evolution. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so that's uh, okay. So if I'm understanding the story so far, is we have these viruses that are sort of living, sort of not. Like, but, but all we know is that they're made up of a material, genetic material uh, that codes for some information proteins um, that's similar to other organisms, but um, they can't really make uh, copy themselves on their own they need another another host and what they do is they then take their code with all their letters they put it in another organism and they they copy it and when they're doing those copies um, a lot of mistakes can be made and then when those mistakes are made that's how they evolve into a, into kind of a different virus or a new virus so uh, I guess if they're changing all the time how do we determine which virus is which um, maybe can you tell us what virus are there any particular viruses you're interested in
1: no i'm interested in all viruses
0: whole viruses (laughs) yes
1: like my my research is not specified about one type of viruses because all type of viruses have overlapping reading frames but uh specifically rna viruses are the ones that where these events are more common but i will be interested in any viruses there are some dna viruses that also have Uh, very interesting overlapping reading frame so I wouldn't be specific of any (laughs) of any kind so you can think about sometimes these mistakes if you think about the genetic code as a book then you are like manually (laughs) you know how they used to do they will like manually move these manuscripts so if other person do it, other person do it. Eventually, you're going to have a completely different book, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. going to accumulate so many changes over time, that that's when these uh, instructions change.
0: I guess just to put it in perspective, because people like don't necessarily know that that much about viruses. um, What type of virus is um, like um, the COVID virus? Is it a DNA virus or an RNA virus?
1: That's an RNA virus.
0: And uh, how about um, uh, the HIV virus? That's
1: a retrovirus. So that's the kind of viruses that have an RNA genome that has to be translated into DNA in order to make their instruction possible. Mm -hmm. So HIV is some of the most interesting viruses. But I think it's important to notice that viruses are not only pathogenic or like bad for for life. Oh, really? Yes, uh, there are some viruses that are just existing there and they won't cause any disease disease i'm sorry and some other viruses i feel like they if you think about a virus as an entity that is moving genetic material around that is a great boost for for evolution and for changes to happen so Mm. viruses infect every form of life on earth (laughs) so viruses infect bacteria archaea fungi plants anything Anything that you can think of is infected by a virus. Even viruses are infected by by viruses. What? <laughs> yes. So wow. the fact that you have these entities that are moving things around sometimes make a lot of beneficial, um, introduce beneficial changes in life. For example, in mammals, viruses introduce the possibility to have a placenta.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yes. So that was good for 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 life right because it allow us to develop a new form of animals which were mammals so we I, I don't think we need to think about viruses only like pathogens or something that causes disease they're just kind of forms that are moving material around and sometimes they cause disease but not always
0: so i mean i guess this is a little bit more general question just about evolution but are is this is this like the the main way that all organisms change through evolution? Like if evolution is change in your, in genetic material of any organism, it, are, are, are viruses the driver in most cases or are, is there some other mechanism?
1: No, no. I don't think in most cases, but I feel like we still need a lot more research about how big is the role of viruses in evolution. For now, we know it's a big role because, for example, in human genome, 8% of our genome is made out of viruses. It means that there are viruses through the history of humans that have been integrated into our genome. So 8% of our genome is viruses. They must be playing a role in who we are. <laughs> we just don't know exactly how much or how big was the impact. But we we need to think about them as part of life and a driver of evolution as well.
0: Wow. It's almost like the sounds like I guess if viruses infect everybody, that viruses is what connects. Is one thing that connects all life on the planet, really. If we found something that what, didn't have viruses, we'd kind of think, this, this isn't like any life on, on Earth, is it?
1: Yes, honestly, yes. I, I've never thought about that, but it's true. If there's one form of life in, on Earth that is not infected by viruses, I want to see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. So, um, so this is a really cool field of study. Um, obviously has some you know broad uh, applications uh, broad relevance to lots of things in the world <laughs> uh, life related um, how do you go about studying it what's your uh like methods
1: okay so viruses are very hard to uh, okay they are very 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 small right so that's why it's uh hard to study them as you will imagine that people do science in a microscope or something like that even though of course that's we can have some very special microscopes in order to see viruses. But most of what I do, uh, I do a field called bioinformatics, which is uh, taking information about life and studying that information. So I basically just use my computer all the time. So there are very important people and key people who are sequencing viruses. So they take a blood sample of you, for example, and they will uh, extract the, ma- the genetic material of the virus, and they will se- sequence that virus. So what I see is a bunch of letters, and those letters are basically the book of the virus, the instructions of the virus. So that's how I study. And if we, if you have, for example, samples from many places of the world, so right now with the pandemic, for example, we have, we have uh, coronavirus sequences from every country right so we can see how different countries have different variants how they are changing how they are moving where did they come from where are they going <laughs> so that's there are a lot of questions that you can ask and the genetic material is going to give you those answers but it's all made in computers supercomputers sometimes because there's so much information that sometimes it can be tricky
0: <laughs> so um you have to like make a calculation to determine, you know, what the difference is between one code and another code. You've, you you know, I've, I, if you give me a page with just a bunch of letters on it and I can't just read it because it's not English, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's the code of life, something. Yes. Um, and then I've got another code and it's also letters and I also can't read it. How do you compare them? <laughs> do, you, do you use like mathematics or something?
1: That's an excellent question. So there are many different ways of comparing like different alg- algorithms, but the most basic ones are just counting how many differences there are between two, two books, let's say. So you count, okay. this book has uh, one A in this position and this book have a T. So you count one difference and also you can see which specific kind of difference and in which regions of the genome those differences are. So, uh, as you know, for example, for the coronavirus, there's this this spike protein that everyone talked about. And that's basically the protein that would allow, allow the virus to enter the cell. So, there are a lot of mutations being accum- accumulated in that specific region. So, you can count or you can see which kind of mutations are occurring in order to see, like, where is this virus trying to evolve or where is it trying to go?
0: Mm, cool. So, okay. So, you can actually uh, you just kind of count up how many letters are the same in one area versus another area, and then you can determine the differences that way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess. Does, does it necessarily mean that if you have a lot of similarities between, you know, one virus and another virus that they're related or, you know, considering the fact that they are changing so easily, could they have randomly become the same?
1: So over time, you accumulate more changes. So your book is more different. So, for example, you, if you have a sibling, they probably have a book very similar to yours. Your instructions are very, very similar. But then if you go back to ancestors, uh, way far back, you will find that there are, um, like every time you go farther in time, you will see more more difference between you, your book, and the the book of those people who were your ancestors. Same happens with viruses. So we have, for example, the first uh, coronavirus that we have the sequences from China, for example. And then we see over time, the accumulation of mutations across uh, time so you will see more changes and more changes in very specific regions and then we have like these branching events where um, viruses start to be very different and we can for example call them variants because mm. they are different very different ones from another in different regions.
0: I guess is there how many changes do you need before you know two variants are so different that there may be completely different viruses?
1: It it depends right now for coronaviruses. We're able to call variants very quickly because we have so much information. But this is not true for the history of humanity. <laughs> we haven't been sequencing this much before, right? So it will depend on on the virus, the like the speed of mutation. So how much how many letters do they change in every cycle? So there are many, many, many variables in order to say where a variant occur or doesn't occur. It, it is relative to every species.
0: And I guess the, the, the quickness in which they change, you, you pointed to earlier that, you know, uh, viruses that are DNA-based change less quickly than the RNA-based ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's also, you said, uh, that changes occur when they're making copies. And those the copies cannot be made alone. They have to be made inside of a, a cell. Mm-hmm. So does it matter what type of cell they're in, be it you know a, a different organism or a different type of cell inside of that organism, that uh, determines how quickly they can change?
1: That's an excellent question, and I don't know the answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: probably, probably, because uh, as you know, bacteria, for example, they don't have a nucleus and they have very different, like, uh, duplication, uh, let's say, machinery. So probably there are big differences, but I, I don't know about that specifically, but that's a very good question. I will be interesting to know.
0: Okay, so, so viruses are incredibly powerful at changing the code of life, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> they move everything around and they're, like you said, responsible for you know, the evolution of mammals, which is amazing. <laughs> so yes. good and bad things can come from viruses changing genetic information. Now, I guess shifting to your interests, you're a graduate student, you're here at Western and you, um, you know, embarked on this PhD, it's a lot of work to do. It's a lot of effort, a lot of time. Um, what made you interested in this type of work?
1: Well, uh, I'm from Colombia, and over there, uh, I used to be, uh, belong to a lab that used to study plant viruses. And those are very cool. And it's very nice to study plant viruses because they won't ever infect you. (laughs) So you can be more relaxed, right? right? Right now, if you're working with human viruses, you need to have all these super labs and be super careful. But with plant viruses, you just... So I had a lot of information and I realized that bioinformatics is a field that it's growing and it's so interesting and there are so many things to do. And it gives you a lot of possibilities. In terms of how many questions you can ask, because the data is already there. So now you just need to make the right questions and try to answer that just based on data. And there's another, like another, let's say, factor that came to play into my decision of doing bioinformatics. And it's because I'm not very good at lab. (laughs) In the lab, I'm very clumsy and not that careful, right? Like you need to have a steady hand and be like very, Yes, yeah, so for me, I'm more messy, <laughs> so I'm like, I better just deal with computers, and if I break something, it's just a computer. I won't break an experiment of two months, <laughs> so that's why I think I'm, I was really ten- tempted into bioinformatics, and also because I really like math, so <laughs> that's uh, some skill that you also need to have in order to do bioinformatics, but I feel like bioinformatics is for everyone. and now we have so many like tools and programs that are very easy to use that that's basically how we are answering a lot of very important questions and I think it's it's a very interesting field
0: I guess in in a way I'm kind of jealous because uh, as a biologist as well who doesn't do bioinformatics um, I often feel like behind the times and feel like what skills do I actually have? <laughs> what have <laughs> I actually learned? I, I do work with animals and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm considering myself less clumsy and I can take care of animals and age them for a very long time and make sure things on the bench don't spill or whatever. Um, but I feel like, uh, you know, generally coding skills and computer skills are more applicable <laughs> to life nowadays in this world of zoom and technology and the internet. So, Um, Do you find uh, that you, in your PhD, are utilizing, you know, computer skills that um, are more valuable outside of even your PhD?
1: Yes, uh, for sure. But there's one thing. I think that generating data is the most important thing. Like, we, bioinformatics cannot do anything without data so I'm always so grateful with people who's the one who's in charge of the of the wet lab because if it were, were not for them we wouldn't be able to do anything so I'm like thank you people who like the lab because you are basically you know like the base of everything that's possible right but yes it's true that I feel like having bioinformatics skills it's it's very useful for life in general uh, I don't I find myself being more like I don't know, savvy, I would say, (laughs) in many computer stuff, right? Because when you work with with bioinformatics, you have to learn to do, for example, open software kind of stuff because that's also something I like. I like science being open to everyone. And for everyone, that's how I think it should be. So that makes me use, for example, Linux or Ubuntu, which is open software, right? So with that, you have to code more. And this is also kind of a cultural thing when you start sharing knowledge and you make it ac- accessible for everyone. That's also something that drives me. Like I'm excited about sharing about and about being open with the science I do. And I feel that, that this is possible thanks to internet as well. <laughs> and like to these uh, computational tools that allow us to share data so fast and create data for everyone, for example. So that's that's something that I find But yes, I think that is very useful, and for me, it's very nice that now in high schools they're teaching some very basic coding skills to kids. I feel like that that's just good to have. (laughs) It will come handy sometime.
0: Yeah, I I certainly wish uh, I learned uh, coding instead of like you know, handwriting (laughs) or or whatever I learned. I feel like
1: it's never too late, Ariel. You can still learn to code.
0: Okay, well, <laughs> hopefully uh, I can get by with the coding that I do know so far, and I'm going to keep doing the wet lab and we can work together. Of course. See, how, see what we can do. Yeah. Um, you know, you said you're, you're really interested in the cultural idea of sharing information and open. Everyone needs to be open. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us if somebody wanted to find out more from you, where do you share your information online <laughs> social media wise?
1: Yeah, so I use my Twitter account for tweeting sometimes about science. So it's Laura, it's Laura Laura.b-a-e-n-a-m. And that's my, you can find me like that.
0: Okay, excellent. So we'll put that in the description and uh, people will go there if they want to find out more about virus evolution. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Laura. Thank you. This has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame, and today we've been speaking with Laura Viena, who knows. Uh, This episode was also produced by Laura, double duty here, and uh, if you want to sit in the seats that we're sitting here, you want to get involved, you want to be a guest on the show, you want to be a host on the show, you want to be a producer on the show, we're always looking for new people, so email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com want to find our online presence we share everything there as well we're on instagram facebook twitter at gradcast radio if you want to listen to more episodes we air weekly on the radio radio western 94.9 fm and we also have all our episodes archived on our website gradcast.ca if you want to listen to our episode if you want to listen to our archived episodes outside of our website you can also go to any podcast app like podbean itunes spotify we're all over the place. Um, Alternatively, there are video versions of our episodes on YouTube at Ragcast Radio, and you can find them. Out. Thanks for listening.